it's Wednesday night, and I'm teaching more or less on the life of Peter. We've gone through uh, the second chapter of Acts over and over and over. There's just so much to that. It's not Pentecostalism. It's Pentecost. Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover. The Passover comes in March, April. March, April. And that is the month Nisan on the Jewish calendar. And Nisan 14 is the Passover day. There's a seven-day festival. And 50 days after the Passover comes Pentecost. And then after Pentecost, that's then you go up to the seventh month, and that takes you to the Feast of Ingathering. That's the same thing. The same thing as the Feast of Huts, the Feast of Tabernacles. These are all different words for the same thing, Tabernacles. And then in that time period, on the tenth day of this seventh month, which is called Tishri, on the tenth day, which is our September, October, that's the end of the harvest. And on the tenth day of the seventh month, which is Tishri, they had the Day of Atonement. And all the males in Israel were given a law by God in Exodus, the 23rd chapter, that they all had to come back to that Day of Atonement and to the Nisan, uh, Passover, and Pentecost, 50 days after that. And Israel had been scattered all over the world because of their apostasy. They kept going after Baal and the Grove and Shemash and Molech and all the gods of the people around them. So God scattered them all over the world. And when they were scattered, they all developed different dialects, dialectos, D-I-A-L-E-K-T-O-S. And they had a different dialect in every city, state. A city-state ruled an area just like Nashville rules with our laws, Tennessee, just like Austin would rule all of Texas being the capital there. So they had a different dialect. I'll get it in a minute. Dialect or glossa. Glossa means foreign language. They had a different dialect of the common street language called the corne. That is the word common. And those dialects would differ as much as Spanish and Italian in our time. So when they come back to these festivals, they could not only not understand each other, they didn't know how to fellowship together. So God gives them a miracle at Pentecost where they said, How here we ever man and our own dialect in the state wherein we were born. Now, that's where we are in this. And Peter is preaching to them. And this is a miracle of the ear. This is not a Pentecostal thing. It's Pentecost. This is God pouring out of his spirit on all flesh or all men, all the Gentiles, since Israel had rejected him in the Old Testament. So God opens their ears at Pentecost. I've gone through this. So let's... Peter is preaching in it, whatever is going to their ear is going into their ear from wherever they were in the world. 
These are men. These are the key to this whole thing. When you get in that fifth verse, it says these were Jews from every nation under heaven because they had been given laws and they'd been coming back every year and they didn't even know how to understand each other. So God gives them a miracle so that the ones going back home after these eras all point to Jerusalem. They're coming here for these feast days. When they go home, they'll take the gospel that Peter preaches in their glossa and their dialects and take it back to the Gentiles. That's all flesh or all men. God has a predestinated elect family in every system in the world. Now, we're talking about Peter here, and he's preaching. And we're talking about when these men hear these words from Peter, they get real convicted in their hearts. 3,000 of them get convicted. 3,000. That's how many believers there were at Pentecost. The compendium says there could have been as many as 12 million people there. Because these were laws. These were devout Jews. So let's see. Let me give you that again. That would be three twelve thousandths. So that would be one out of every four thousand people believed. One out of every four thousand. So not many people that believed. And they get convicted and they say to Peter here, or here in verse 37, When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is truth. So you'll receive truth. Peter is not talking about being dipped in water. He can't be talking about that. Because when he says, I've said last week, and I'm going to finish this up, I'm going to try to document baptism is not water as much as I can in this message and maybe next week. This is a, what the Church of Christ called their verse. For some reason, everybody, all the preachers I've ever heard of, they think baptism is water. After John the Baptist says... In Matthew, the third chapter, before Jesus ever started on his first message, John is baptizing the Jordan River. And John looks out over the crowd and he says, I baptize with water. But there comes one after me, he'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. What was John doing washing in water? It has a meaning. John was... The people wanted to come back together as a nation. They had been split. The nations had been split under, long story, but y'all, most of you know the story. In 1 Kings, the 11th chapter, when Solomon allows his 700 wives, what's he doing having 700 wives? Only he knows because he's not supposed to be doing that. However, God works this together for good. He had 300 concubines. That's secondary wives. Now, he was having babies by all these women. 
And he said when he got older and he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, I had all the women I wanted. I had all the gold I wanted. I had everything I wanted. And it was vanity and vexation of spirit. I could not fulfill all my sexual desires with a thousand women. With all the gold in the world, I couldn't fulfill my desires. That's why I wrote verses like in Ecclesiastes, He that loveth silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance and with increase. When goods are increased, they are increased that eat them. What he's saying is the more you get, the more you want. That's what he's saying. Boy, do I ever know that. So, Solomon said I couldn't. And so he, because of this, these, this, this sin of Solomon, God has put the nation into two kingdoms. The only kingdom that came back from the captivity when God scattered them was Judah. That's the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin. The ten lost tribes, which were ruled by Joseph or Ephraim, his, his second-born son, never came back from the captivity. So during the days of Jesus, only Judah was back from the captivity. The ten northern tribes were not back, and they were led by Ephraim, Joseph's second-born son, and it was Ephraim that had received the inheritance of all Israel Actually, it was given to Joseph, uh, Jacob's favorite son. Jacob's name being changed to Israel. The inheritance belonged to Ephraim. And when the one who owned the property wasn't home, they said it wasn't there. Therefore, the only people that were back from the captivity during the days of Jesus, when the Roman Empire was ruling, was southern Judah. So therefore, Judah was not home. Now, so they were wanting to restore the kingdom. The Pharisees came up with something they called proselyte baptism. And they said, if you lived in a foreign country, Baptist, um, they said if you lived in a foreign country, and you had heard about Israel's God, Jehovah God, and you wanted to come here, say, from Corinth, and become a member of Israel, which they call the kingdom of God, that all you had to do was be circumcised, washed in water, and they called that, this is, a, this is not biblical law, this is the law of the Pharisees, that Jesus talks about and mentions. They had to be washed in water. And the Pharisees called that a new birth. A new birth. And then you had to offer two turtle doves at the temple. Well, circumcision was in the law. Two turtle doves was in the law. And where the Pharisees got this washing in water, they got that from right in front of the temple where the priest would come and wash in what they call the brazen sea. And here's the altar here. Every time they would go to the altar and offer a sacrifice, they'd come back and wash at the brazen sea. In the morning, they would wash all over. Let me move this. 
So they implemented that washing into their halakha, which was their verbal law, which said they had to go these three things here. And they said that if a man would be go through these three things, of course he had to offer two turtle doves, his mother did when her 40 days of purification were up, and everybody in Israel had to be circumcised. So this is the only one that Jesus had been washed in. So Jesus told John, let's fulfill all righteousness. Let's fulfill the righteousness of the Pharisees. Because they said that if anyone would go through this, and they were a wise man, the Pharisees said in their halakha, that's their verbal law, not Bible, but Jesus mentioned it along the way. They said if a man would be washed in water, circumcised in two turtle doves, that they would have to listen to him. Otherwise, they thought he was from Samaria and they did not have to listen to him. Samaria was northern Israel or the 13, excuse me, the 10 lost tribes in northern Israel. And they thought because Jesus was preaching up here in Galilee and that he was raised in the land of Zebulun. Zebulun, that's the home of Nazareth. And they said he was raised in Zebulun or in Nazareth. And they considered northern Israel, Samaria, the most filthy place on the earth. And Nazareth, they said, is nothing. That's why when Bartholomew heard, or Nathaniel, another name for him, when he heard that Jesus, they said, well, where is Nathaniel said, where is this Messiah from? He asked Peter. He said, Nazareth. And Bartholomew said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Jesus said, I heard what you said. <laughs> When you were under the tree. I was a long way from you, but I heard that. Must have astounded him. So, and the reason they hated northern Israel is because when the Assyrians came in and carried them away captive, the Assyrians came in, brought their sun worship in there, into northern Israel. Here's the two southern tribes right here. Simeon was numbered with northern Israel. That's another story. So, when the Pharisees said, we won't have anything to do with northern Israel. We won't even walk in it. So when, they, when the Syrians come in, carried them captive, and moved their troops in and started selling in, they intermarried with the people in northern Israel. And when they intermarried with them, they brought their sun gods in and mixed them with Jehovah worship up here. That's why when... When Jesus met the woman at the well in Samaria, the well of Jacob in Samaria, he looked at her and said, you worship you know not what, because you have a mixed religion. So this is what the Pharisees hated, and that's why Jesus could get away from the Pharisees when he'd come to the temple, because when he'd come to the temple, he would not, he would not forsake those festivals that were given. He would come to the festivals. And as soon as he'd come, he'd reprimand the Pharisees and they'd say, let's get him. All he had to do was take a couple of steps because the streets were packed and he could get away from them. And all he had to do was step right back up here into northern Israel and they would stay away from him. So they said, if anyone foreign, 
would come down here and go through this process right here. That that is, that that would qualify them to be a member of Israel. They would become a proselyte of the gate with all privileges. So when Jesus tells John the Baptist, let's, let's fulfill their righteousness. And here's why he was one more time. Look over here. I had to f- complete this so we can see what the rest of this is about. Well, I was going to go somewhere, and I forgot where I was going. Anyway, I'll get to it in a minute. I just went blank on where I was. So many things on this. Now, when they, they, oh, yeah, John, over in John. Fourteen, is it John fourteen? I'm just kind of going blank on something here. I don't do that often. All right. No, wait a minute. John eight. I'll get it in a minute. All right. In John 8, Jesus is confronting the Pharisees. He just got through telling them, your father's the devil, the works of your father you will do. And here's what they say about him. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, said we not that well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? They said he was a Samaritan because he was raised in the land of Zebulun, but they didn't know he was born in Bethlehem of Judah. And he's not going to prove that to them. He's not going to try to convince them of that. So John tells you why he was washed in water. Look over here in in, in John the first chapter. John the first chapter. Verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him. And saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, and I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Remember the Pharisees in their halakos said, if you go through this process here, he had already been circumcised. Every male had to be circumcised the eighth day in Israel. And Mary came to Jerusalem there in Luke, the first chapter. And after her 40 days of quarantine, she had offered two turtle doves. So these had been fulfilled. When John comes washing Jesus, that is to shut the mouths of the Pharisees. Look here what he says. That Jesus should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. So they would have to shut their mouths and listen to him. That's the proselyte baptism. That's what this thing that all these churches are doing. Washing people in water. There is no command to wash in water. Here's the whole thing. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. It's the most important part of this. If not one of the most important parts of it. John the Baptist comes 
in Matthew the fourth chapter and says, or third chapter and says, I baptize with water. What's he doing? Proselyte baptism. They can't get all, they can't get Rome over here to let the Israelites go. They were ruling the Israelites. They were ruling Judah with armies, with soldiers. They had, they had, they had companies of command of companies of soldiers in Jerusalem everywhere. Pilate was a governor. It was Rome that was ruling. It was the beast that was ruling. So they didn't know what to do. So they come up the the Pharisees come up with this idea of proselyte baptism, and Jesus comes up and says. I have to be washed in water to get these guys to listen to me. Now, John the Baptist says, I'm washing in water. That's a proselyte baptism. But there comes one after me. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Now, Holy Ghost and fire. That was a common term. Ghost is the word pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A. Holy is the word hagios, means pure. Pneuma means breath. Breath is what gives life. And fire is the word per. This is in the Greek text. And there was a man named Zeno. You can get this out of a book called Harvest of Hellenism. Great book. I was down here at Rivergate 25 years ago, something like that, 30 maybe, and I was in front of a used bookstore, and they had a rack of books out there on sale. And of course, the books that I want are books that nobody else wants, and they're always on sale, you know. <laughs> so I went up, I thumbed through this, and I see this Harvest of Hellenism. It's by F.E. Peters. Now, Hellas was a name for Greece, it was about their culture, their culture their idioms, their metaphors, their languages, metaphors, and the things they said, languages, their gloss of their dialects. It's a great book. I, I, I still read it because I can't absorb everything out of it. And Mr. Zeno started something called Stoicism, S-T-O-I-C-I-S-M. And the Stoics were philosophers. And he said, he come up with this idea that all the universe that we live in, the stars and the sun and the moon and the foreign stars out there, that they were all a living entity. An entity is something that's entire in itself, a being. I'm a living entity. I've got veins and heart and spleen and blood vessels and the whole works. I'm a living entity. He said everything in this universe was an entity, and he called it a cosmos. 
Now, you and I use the word C-O-S-M-O-S, cosmos. Something that's cosmic has to do with the stars and so forth. And when you look that word up, it means an orderly arrangement. And you'll have different... You'll have different... uh, Genders in these words. In John 3.16, the word world is cosmos, but its masculine gender means the ordered arrangement of mankind is what it means in John 3.16. Now, Mr. Zeno said, this is all his imagination, but it became idiomatic, became a saying, and everybody knew what it meant. They, he said that this cosmos was given life by Numa and Pur, by spirit and fire. And he lived back around 320 B.C. So everybody walking in the streets at that time, it had been a saying for over 300 years. Everybody knew what it meant. It meant life. Here's what really astounds me. John has got this proselyte baptism because the people want somehow to get their nation back, either spiritually or something, because it's the nation is split. That's why the ten lost tribes are called ten lost tribes. So, here's what really gets me. After the third chapter of Matthew, Matthew 3, Jesus goes into the wilderness in Matthew 4 and he's tempted by Satan. Tempted by Satan. And then in five, he starts his ministry in a place called Galilee. That's northern Israel. Notice he starts preaching where the Pharisees don't want to go. He starts in Galilee and five through seven is called the Sermon on the Mount. I've got a million things to say about that. Sermon on the Mount. And that, and he rips the Pharisees to shred. He comes out of the gate just cutting them down. I don't have time to go into that in the Halakha. Then he goes through his life preaching. They take him and crucify him. Crucify Jesus. And then when he's crucified, he raises from the dead. He goes up to northern Galilee and meets with his apostles. And when he meets with them, he tells them to go into all the world. Look, let's go over there to Matthew, the 28th chapter. I'm, I'm going to try to spell this thing out about baptism as much as I ever have. I want you to really see what this is about. It may take me a couple of three weeks, but we're still in Acts, the second chapter, and Peter's preaching to them in gloss and dialects. Now, Matthew, the 28th chapter, Jesus has been raised from the dead by the Father. And here's what he tells his apostles. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee. There's only 11 because Judas has killed himself. He's committed suicide. 
into the mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Remember the word nation is ethnos. Ethnos is the same word as Gentile. <coughs> the Gentiles were forbidden the truth over here in the Old Testament. They weren't forbidden to have the truth, except for certain few exceptions, like Rahab the harlot, and like uh, Ruth the Moabite, and like Nebuchadnezzar, he believed God. After God struck him down on his all fours for seven times, and the Gentiles had never had the truth. They were in dark. They were in the darkness. Reminds us of spirits in prison. Prison, fulake, means the division of day and night or light and darkness. And God is calling them. He's calling the Gentiles to the light in Acts 2. H-U-L-A-K-E. They were in the dark, now they're in the light as of Acts 2. Now, what was I? Boy, there's a lot to this. So, the, what? Matthew 28, okay. Got so many things on my mind. Then he says, Go into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now, here's the thing about, I said last week, you got three words for in. You have the word ice or ice, however you want to pronounce it. Epi and e in. And not one of these words means to move into a fluid and come out of it. They don't mean that. This word in right here is the word ice. It means to sink into. Remember we said the word baptize comes from two words. Bapto, baptizo and bapto. Baptizo means to cover. Bapto means to stain as if to dye something. Now, every writer that's worth his salt, Robert Becker Girdlestone, uh, Mr. Strong in the Strong's Cyclopedia, will tell you that baptize, baptizo was not a verb that we've made it into. A verb shows action. A verb, jump, run. throw that's an action verb now what this actually was it was a noun a noun is a person place or thing and they have gender either masculine feminine neuter gender a table is neuter gender. It's not a male or female. So, being a noun, 
with verbal character showing an action taken up on the noun, that's called an infinitive. That's what infinitive is. Well, how in the world did it become a verb in the English Bible? Well, Mr. Girdlestone, one of the great scholars of the last several hundred years, he said they didn't know, said the translator didn't know what to do with it. When they got to baptize, they're going, oh me, what do we do? He said what they did, they anglicized this noun, turned it into a verb in the English text. What they did, they made a noun a verb simply because it had verbal character. It shows an infinitive where it shows where an action is coming up on the subject. It's like if I'm really going to be baptized, you have to pour water all over me or something with red dye in it, and then you got me baptized. So what they did, they anglicized, A-N-G-L-E-C-I-S-E-D. They anglicized, C-I-Z-E-D, excuse me, or S-I-Z-E-D. I'll get it in a minute. S-I-Z-E-D, the word angle, the angles were hordes coming from the north down into Great Britain. They were we say Anglo-Saxon. That's the Caucasians. We say the Normans. Most of those you see in all of the old movies in Ivanhoe and, and Robin Hood, you see the Normans and the Saxons dueling. Well, the Angles were one of those. And we say Anglo-Saxon, that means white people. And they, so what they did, they turned this, this infinitive... Instead of being a noun and it had verbal character, they just changed it into a verb where people dip. It's not it. And to anglicize something means to turn it into English. English. In fact, that's kind of what Mr. Strong says under baptism in the McClinic and Strong. Let me read something to you. Gosh, I've got so many things to say on this. I really want to uh, get a lot said and documented. Now, I want to read to you out of McClinic and Strong. I got him. This is an article out of McClinic and Strong. This is baptism. He says the same thing. The sad thing is, he says in the first paragraph what everything actually means in the Greek. But it's sad to say that his contributors continue the article and they start talking about what men, how they used it or misused it in the ancient world. He didn't say they misused it. He'll say they used it this way. And I'm not grappling about using it another way other than the fact that it's not mean to dip into water. You're going to find exactly what it means in the first paragraph of his article. I'm going to read it to you. Baptism. A rite of purification. Now, do you think water can purify anybody? It 
cannot. If it can, let's go out here and capture a bunch of people and, and dip them in water against their will and, and get them saved, kind of like he did you day. <laughs> Those Church of Christ got day one night late at night and took him over to a church and dipped him. He didn't know what was going on. He said, okay. The word baptism is simply, listen to this, simply an anglicized form of the word baptismos, a verbal noun. Now, if you don't know what a verbal noun, that's in little bitty letters. If you don't know that's an infinitive, it don't do you any good to read this, does it? You don't know that, but that's what a verbal noun is. It's an infinitive. It means the action's taken up on the subject. He tells you exactly what it means. So does Mr. Girdlestone. Verbal noun from baptizo, anglicized, baptized. And this again is derivative of bapto, the predominant signification of which latter is to whelm or to die, or the Latin is tingo, meaning to tinge. You can tinge something that doesn't have color. It has to do with blood is what it has to do with. Blood baptism was a death in the first century. Not being a verb implying motion. I love that. Not being a verb implying motion. Baptism is not a verb implying motion. Is probably followed in the Greek. Is probably followed in the Greek. That preposition e. In, that's this word here, E-N, right there. That's where we write it in English. This is where it's written in the Greek. And N looks like a V. Remember that? N. Uh, let me read on here. Not being a verb implying motion, not showing action on the part of the person, is properly followed in the is properly followed in the Greek in denoting the means or the method. Means with or by. That's all. Look, let me write that up here. With or by. It doesn't mean to dip into. Now, I'll come back to that in a minute. Denoting the means or method, which has unfortunately in the authorized English version in the King James Bible often been rendered by the ambiguous particle IN. IN is ambiguous. It's it means it could mean two or three different things. It's puzzling. Whereas it really, in this connection, signifies only with or by. So when you're reading, I might stop here and come back to this. Let me show you two of the best infinitives in the New Testament. Look over in Acts 10. I don't know of anybody that even cares enough. Let's just dip them in water. That's good enough for us. You know why I have such an aversion to water baptism? My father dipped me about six or seven times. I can't remember how many. Once in a, in a river, creek, two or three times in a church. Even bought a church to take some people over to dip people in water, and I was one of them. People thought I was, I got waterlogged down in Texas. 
I like the old preacher said, I knew all the tadpoles by their first name. <laughs> all right. Let's look at this. Acts 10. And Peter is at the house of Cornelius expressing to them what they need to do. And look here in verse 44. And while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell upon them, or the truth fell upon these people in the house of Cornelius, and they were Gentiles. That means everything to know that they were Gentiles. Peter has to be speaking in some foreign language. He's just a northern Galilean fisherman. He's not going to know all these people, these Gentiles in this house and all of their languages. So you've got to look at the first part of the chapter to see what he has to know. And they of the circumcision, circumcision is a term for Jews, which believed were astonished, and as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles, this is the first time the Gentiles heard the truth from the mouth of one of the apostles. Also, Peter says that in Acts, the 15th chapter. He says, it was given to me to give the gospel to the Gentiles first. And was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost, which is truth. For they heard them speak with glossa, with other tongues, because they were Gentiles. And magnified God, then answered Peter, Boy, this is, now this is the verse that really bothers people when they hear me say this. When they hear me say, baptism is not water. Well, can any forbid water? These should not be baptized. Remember, these are Gentiles. You've got to think of several things at once when I get to this. You've got to remember in Colossians 2.14... Colossians 2.14 These thoughts all have to come at once on your mind. Paul said, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. Out. Handwriting is very, very important. Handwriting of ordinances. They were contrary to us. He took them out of the way, nailing them to his cross. That was at his crucifixion. I'm going to say it again. They had contracts. You can look up contract in McClinic and Strong, and you can see this. Had contracts. When they had a contract, they'd take two people out in public and they'd have two witnesses to every contract at least two to three witnesses and they would say to the witnesses are you wanting to when they got ready to invalidate the original contract they'd take the witnesses out and the two, con- two original contracting parties says everybody understand we're going to invalidate this contract and go into a new one They'd say yes, and they'd take a nail and drive it through it. That was just like us taking a notary stamp and notarizing something. And it held up in their courts of law. All they had to do is take those two witnesses, 
the two contracting parties, and the two witnesses validated what the contract was. If they drove a nail through it, that did away with the contract. But all it did away with was the handwriting of ordinances. You got two handwritings. Writings. One is on tables of stone. And the other is on fleshy tables of the heart. I just want to show you those two. Look over here. I'll give you one illustration in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 9. Deuteronomy 9. You need to understand the whole picture to understand the truth of baptism. All right. Deuteronomy, the ninth chapter. And you tell me which one of these was nailed to the cross. It wasn't the law that was nailed to the cross. We still have the law. Can you go out and kill? All the imperative boots in the New Testament were part of the law. Now he says here in chapter 9, verse 10. The Lord delivered unto me, this is Moses, two tables of stone written with the finger of God. And on them was written according to all the words which the Lord spake with me in the mount in the midst of the fire in the day of assembly. The Bible says in Luke the 11th chapter that when if I with the finger of God cast out devils in the kingdom of God unto you coming to you how what does he do with his finger in the new testament look at second corinthians second corinthians the third chapter second corinthians here's two tables two handwritings all right second corinthians the third chapter verse Ye are our epistle written in our hearts. Now he says this several times. He says it over in the 8th chapter of of, uh, Acts. He says it in the ninth chapter of Acts. He says it in the 11th chapter of Acts. Or excuse me, Hebrews. Not Acts. Hebrews, excuse me. Ye are the epistle written in our hearts, known and read of men, for as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, written by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tables of stone any longer, but upon fleshy tables of the heart. So the only thing that was blotted out was the rituals. The law is still here. Do we make void the law through faith? Yea, we establish the law. All the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Walking in the commandments of God is the law. That's agape. This is agape that we walk after. It's commandment, Seneca and John 4. Now, let me finish this here. Go back to Acts 10. Acts 10. Now, this bothers, This will bother people. It does not say, can any forbid water? Let me really go slow on this. He's talking to Gentiles which before the handwriting of ordinances that Jesus blotted out when he was nailed to the cross all Gentiles would have to be washed in water circumcised and offered two turtle doves 
He's saying no more. He's saying right here. It doesn't say can any forbid water. Every Baptist preacher that baptizes somebody, dips them down, says can any forbid water that he should not be baptized. It doesn't say that. Forbid is an infinitive. It's a verbal noun. It actually says in the original text, not the water. Forbid is a bad word because it sounds like a verb, doesn't it? Sounds like taking action. Sounds like a verb. It's not that. It means stop. It actually means D-A-M. A dam is where you stop the water. He's not the water on these Gentiles because if you do, they're going to get confused thinking they're going to be circumcised, washed in water, and offer two turtle doves, and all of that, all the rituals have been blotted out. So it says, not the water, stop. It's kind of like putting a sign up at the end of a road. Stop. You. That would be a verb. That would be a noun with a verbal attitude stopping you from driving further. So when he says, not the water on these Gentiles, what's amazing when, I don't mean to chase a rabbit, but it goes with this. When Peter was coming back, when John, I'll get it right, I mean, when Paul was coming back from his first, he went up here to Galatia on his first missionary journey. I'll get it here in a minute. Okay, how's that? What? Yeah, I do, but I'm just going to use this right here. When Paul came up here to Galatia, went up to Antioch, comes over to Iconium, they run him, the Pharisees of Antioch run him out of there, goes over to Iconium, they come over to Iconium, about 70 so miles away, run him out of town there, and then goes down to here Lister, and these pagans accept him at Lister when he heals a man, and then the same guys from Antioch come over here and convince these pagans at Lister to stone Paul and leave him for dead. And then he goes down, and he's all banged up, looks probably got splints on him, and he goes down here to Derby, and then he comes back to Lister, back to Iconium, back to Antioch, and heads back to Jerusalem. And on the way back, He's got these Judaizers, the Bible calls them. They want to keep the Judaic law. It don't mean that they were they were un, unbelievers, but they said, we need to go back and circumcise these Gentiles. That's in Acts, the 15th chapter. When they say that, Paul says, we're not going to go back and start circumcising them and washing them in water and doing this proselyte process anymore. We're not going to do that. So they go back to Jerusalem and Peter stands up in the middle of the crowd and he said, it was by my mouth the Gentiles first heard this and we tried to put a weight on them that they couldn't handle. We're not going to do that. Peter says that. And then James, the brother of Jesus, is head of the council of Jerusalem. He says, no, we're not going to do that. So Paul, Peter, and James are trying to say, stop the circumcision in this chapter 
And over here, Peter says, stop the water. Can you see that? Stop stop the rituals. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, those were nailed. And now everything that was once literal is spiritual, including the baptism. Why would Jesus say, go into all the world and teach all nations and baptize them with John's baptism and that Holy Ghost and fire, that baptism of life, you can forget that? He would... I don't know why preachers have never seen that. That makes no sense. And why? Why? When Jesus says, go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Ghost, it'll come upon you and go into all the world and baptize. You think he's talking about water there? No. He's not talking about water. Just for the meaning of the word in. And now look at the next verse. And Peter commanded them to be baptized. To be baptized is one word in the Greek. It's an infinitive. Guess what? Baptistheni. B-A-P-T-I-S-T-H-E-N-A-I. E-I-N-A-I is the word to be. To be baptized, but it's an infinitive. And then it says in. Be baptized in. And that word in there is the word in. And it only means with or by. It says be baptized with the name. Name is the word onoma. It means authority. Be baptized with the authority of God. That's what it says in the Greek text. God's authority is His Word. I don't care whether all the famous Southern Baptists want to believe this or not. You guys are lazy bums. You, you just don't care what something means. I don't care what you independent Baptists think. I'm just fed up with people not thinking. You know, nobody in America wants to think. Yeah, you tell them some information. Well, I don't need that. I don't. So we'll just go ahead and dip in water down here at the Baptist Church. Well, you go ahead. I'm not going to do it. Christmas is Christ's Mass. It's Roman Catholicism. It's a lot to celebrate Christmas 300 years ago in America. You don't like that. You don't like history. It's like. We live in a world full of lazy preachers because they want to make money and have big salaries and have all these perks with their insurance paid and um, an IRA at the bank and and a $30,000 a year house allowance. You know, they got these kind of things. That's cheap preachers. They have a $15,000, $20,000 housing. Some of them have a library allowance of fifteen to 20000 a year. And I don't know what they'd buy. Be worth buying. All right. So he commands them to be baptized in the name. Those words are all different. They don't mean, this word ice means to sink into. That has the same basic meaning 
as Galatians 3.27. Look at Galatians 3.27. Galatians. I really don't care whether anybody likes what I'm saying or not. I'm just fed up with the ignorance of preachers. I got sick and tired of Billy Graham. Just lying to the American brother. We've got to accept Christ when that's not true. It's faith that saves. Not you, you can't accept Christ. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. The word receive means to accept. Dead men don't accept anything spiritual. And they all just run around saying these things. You've got to pray the sinner's prayer. There's no sinner's prayer. How sh- Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, but how shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? Belief is the method of salvation, not a prayer. Now, look here in Galatians 3.27. Galatians 3.27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, but you haven't taken him off. Put on is the word enduo, E-N-D-U-O. It means to sink into clothing. has the basic same meaning as ice. Go into all the world, teach all nations, baptizing them in, sinking into the clothing of God. What is his clothing? His blood. A blood baptism was a death in the first century. Let's look at that real quick. Go here to Matthew, to Mark 10. Mark 10, the day before Jesus dies, James and John come to him. Verse 35, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto Jesus, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. Very selfish to disciples. Now, see, people will read that and they'll say, do for us what we desire, and it sounds real righteous. It's not righteous, that they're selfish. Well, we want preeminence in your kingdom. And he said unto him, What would you that I should do for you? And they said unto him, Grant unto us, me and my brother, we're fishermen and we deserve this, that we may sit one on the right hand and the other on the left hand in glory. They're not wanting too much, are they? (laughs) I think they're funny. But Jesus said unto them, You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I drink of? To drink of a cup meant to undergo a severe ordeal or a death. Can you drink the cup? Now he's going to die the next day. And with the baptism that I'm baptized with, can you be baptized? He's not. You think he's asking them, can you be dipped in water? No. Can you undergo the death? And look what they say. And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink the cup that I drank of. With a baptism I'm baptized with all, shall ye be baptized. A blood baptism was a death. He dies the next day. He's talking about his death. Now what's really amazing to me, John is one of these people here. He's beloved John that wrote the book of Revelation. He was boiled in oil. And exiled on Patmos. Patmos is a little island right out here off of the western end of what we call Turkey or Asia Minor. He was boiled in oil. Now most preachers and most doctors of theology say we have no record that John 
was martyred. Yes, we do. We've got this book where Jesus told them they would die the death. I don't even know why people are going to believe some theologians out of some some council somewhere over Jesus himself. He said they will die the death. And then some of the early church fathers said John the Revelator did die the martyr's death. Now, look at one more time where Jesus talks about a blood baptism. Go over here to Luke 12. This is the same account, so you can come up and see this. Luke 12. Luke 12, I'm... I'll get it in a minute. Verse 49. I am come to send fire on earth. This is Jesus. And what will I, if it be already kindled, if the fire is here? The fiery trials. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. It is a baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Spirit, baptism of his blood are all the same. A blood baptism was a death. A fiery baptism was a death. And baptism of the Holy Spirit says the Holy Spirit is truth. That is, when you tell people the truth about Christmas and predestination, they want to crucify you for doing that, and that's a death also. So baptism of blood, baptism of the Holy Spirit... They're all the same. Then he says here, but I have a baptism to be baptized with. He's talking about one he hasn't been baptized with, isn't he? Huh? I haven't been baptized with it yet. He's talking about death on the cross. He's talking about dying daily in the sense of going out among the Pharisees and them put him to a death spiritually, and then they finally put him to death physically. And how am I straightened till this death be accomplished? Straightened is the word suneco. S-U-N-E-C-H-O. Echo means to hold. It's a Greek word. It means to hold. We think of an echo holding a sound. Hello, 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 hello. Out of over the Grand Canyon. Well, this means to hold together. How am I held together with my people? This is soon, means to be bonded together. How am I held together till this baptism is accomplished? It's something I have to undergo in the future. It's not something that's been done yet. He's already been washed in water, and that was a proselyte process. So the Pharisees would shut their mouths. Now, then he says... Suppose that I am come to give peace on earth, I tell you nay, but rather division. People say, let's all get along and, and let's all tolerate each other and be friends and say, I love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Yes. For from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided. Here's a verse for all you people who want me to help you get your mother to get saved and your family to get saved. I can't help them. I couldn't get my own mother to believe the truth before she died. 
shall be five in one house divided against three and two against three. And the father shall be divided against the son and the son. This is a baptism here. Remember the word death, Thanos, means separation. It doesn't mean annihilation. Thanos or Thanatos, T-H-A-N-A-T-O-S. How much time do I have, Mike? I'm trying to get in all I can here. And the son against the father and the mother against the daughter and the daughter against the mother and it's usually over money or sex or you can watch the ID challenge see this all day long. Against her daughter-in-law and the daughter-in-law against her mother and the Bible says a man's foes in Matthew 10 will be those of his own household. Don't be surprised at this fiery trial. Don't. This is not a strange. Think it not strange. X-E-N-I-Z-O. Conizo. It comes from X-E-N-O-S. Concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. It's supposed to happen to you. People are to get angry at you. <coughs> means an occasional guest. It means a stranger. The fiery trial is not... The fiery trial is a part of our fire baptism. It's what's supposed to happen. I was in the bank yesterday. I don't preach to anybody anywhere and try to convert anybody. I share information with them since I teach Greek and Hebrew and some Hebrew and lots of history. And I have been banking at Bank of America for 40 years been my bank people have known me for years there I'm real friendly to everybody gentle to them I share things that I learn in Greek and Hebrew and I give out DVDs don't try to convert anybody to anything I don't believe in that I just say here let me show you this and I was giving one of the bank officers he came up to me and saw my shirt uh the tilt of the earth axis is the reason for the season. He said, I like your shirt. I said, do you know what it means? Well, no. I said, well, let me show you. And I was going to make a swastika on the back of the DVD and the bank officer president or something came up to me and she said, Mr. Brown, we can't do that here. You can't do this with any of my clients, any of the clients of this bank or any of the people that work here. I've never had anybody correct me at that bank except her. Say, now I've thought about what am I going to do? I'm not going to go in there and be rebellious. I will say, I understand your position, but you don't understand mine because I wasn't preaching to anybody. I read all the time. I've read all my life. I've got a library in my home, and I share information. That's all I do. And that's all I do. That's all you have to do is share information. You don't have to preach at somebody. And we certainly are going to add, not going to ask them if they want to accept Christ or press in his prayer. But she didn't know I did that. So I've thought about maybe I'll go in with my shirts and maybe she'll ask me not to come in with my shirts on. And and so I said, well, excuse me a minute. I'll run outside and get a jacket and put it on. Okay, is that better? (laughs) I may do something like that. Is that, is is this acceptable? You can see the print under it or something like that. But did I get mad? No. She's supposed to do that. You have to accept that because that is a part of our fire that we're going through. 
I've been there 40 years. No one. Everybody knows me. Everybody says, hello, Mr. Brown. And I talk with them and joke with some of them and, and just say stuff and always share a Greek word or some historical thing. I don't just talk about the Bible. I talk about anything I've read. I was talking to one of the bank presidents one day, one of the bank executives, and I said, do you know that we have a a national debt of $18 trillion and we can't pay that off in 10,000 years? He said, I didn't know that. It's funny what bankers don't know. Huh? I, they don't know. They know banking, and that's it. They know their columns, and they're adding up columns and stuff like that. They know their qualifications, and certain it takes so much to qualify for this loan. They don't know these things. I said, "Did you know that we have committed to two hundred thirty-two trillion dollars?" He said, "Mr. Brown, you know a lot." I said, "All you have to do is go on the internet and look up national debt, and look up these authorities in national." I said, "We ain't coming out of this. We're sinking." People want to pretend that everything's okay and there's nothing bad and nothing's going to happen. It is going to happen. I've been preaching on prophecy on Sunday night and with what's going on in the world, something is about to happen. It's already happening. It's crazy. The world is crazy. You know that they are possessed with devils, which deominensimai means to be insane. That means insane means you can't think rational. They can't. Does the world think rational? No. No, they do not. They don't teach it in school either. Huh? They don't teach it in school either. They're not. They don't teach it in school. You want to get scared? What's the big scientist name that just died? uh, Hawkins. Stephen Hawkins. He said America only has thirty to forty years to exist before we die. He said, it's, going, it's coming to a halt. There's no way around it. I don't, I don't know how it's going to end, but it's going to end. The world is insane. The world's crazy. They think if they're, most of them think if you're white and an executive, you're going to survive. No, you're not. I told a doctor one day, I told a cardiologist, I said, you're rich, you're a cardiologist. He said, well, I don't know about that. I said, I know about that. I drove by your house. I know where you live. <laughs> and I said, the world is going to sink. Do you not know what we owe? And I did all that study on the national debt. I said, do you not know that this thing is going down? I said, when it goes down, you're going down with us with all your money. I told him that in his office. And he laughs and he thinks I'm funny because I talk out and I'm real bold with him. I wasn't mad at him. I just said, you're going to lose all your money when we all go down. We're all going down together like Billy Joel said. Do you remember that song? <laughs> we'll all go down together. I said, and you don't have a way out. I'll tell bankers that. I told that banker I was talking to that day. I said, there's no way out for you or me or anybody. I said, we have to be bowing to God, getting on our face before him. Now, let's get back to this. Now. I got to finish reading this on baptism. So he says, not being a verb prime motion, that en is ambiguous. It only signifies with or by, or at most merely designates the locality where it is the act is performed. That's Acts ten forty seven and forty eight. The, there's two infinities back to back. Forbid 
to be baptized. They're both infinitives. I can't help that. Get mad at me. They're infinitives whether you like it or not. And in Mr. Mouse's book, he'll say an infinitive is a verbal noun. That's what he says. The great teacher of Greek. The derivative verb and noun are sometimes used with reference to ordinary lustrations, which means washings, and sometimes used with reference to ordinary lustrations, and occasionally will respect to merely secular acts, also in a figurative sense. In certain cases, it is followed by the preposition ice, E-I-S. That's the word over there in Matthew uh, 28, 19. Going to all the world, baptizing them in. In certain cases, it is followed by the preposition ice with the meaning to, for, or unto, or pointing out the design of the act, especially in the phrases expressive of the covenant of relation of which this right was real. Let me read the end of this. And these and other applications of the Greek word, see Robinson's lexicon of the New Testament, where however the statement that the primary force of the verb baptize is to dip or immerse is not sustained by its actual usage or grammatical construction. He says it does not mean to dip or immerse. Deal with it. What's so important about that? If you believe baptism is water... You will ignore blood baptism, death to self, daily cross, self-denial. You'll ignore it, won't you? And the world is ignoring the real baptism. Daily cross, you ignore that guy that said you have to come over to that church of Christ and be dipped in water. So you come over here and we'll dip you in blood. <laughs> but what's so sad, they continue the article and want to tell you everything they did in all these different things, he tells you exactly what it is in the opening paragraph and then kind of says, well, they did this and that with it. And I can understand using something in other ways, but to get down to the real meaning of the word baptize, it means to cover with a stain or dye, and it was originally a noun, and they've turned it into a verb. Now, let me read something else to you. McClinic and Strong, on the very end of blood article, it has blood baptism. Do I think all the contributors of McClinic and Strong got it all completely right? No, I don't believe they did. But they give you the crux of the matter when they tell you what it means. Blood baptism in the early church, one devoted to martyrdom without water, was reckoned among the catechumens, which is the instructions of the early church, martyrdom being regarded as a full substitute and was therefore styled blood baptism. I didn't make that up. It's just, you know how frustrated I get watching these people. Even John MacArthur's made the statement. 
Y'all have heard me say this before, but he was having a baptismal service on radio. And you could hear splash, 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 splash. Now, there was a man that died in the baptistry down in Texas. They had a short in the microphone system and went down into the baptistry and killed the preacher there while he was trying to dip somebody in water. Do y'all remember that? That was a couple years, a couple years ago. You probably look it up on the Internet. I think it's funny. But John said, if we baptize the people the way we should, we would put them under the water and we wouldn't let them up. That's what John MacArthur said. He knows he don't want to deal with it. He's got too many constituents, too many people voting for him, sells too many books. That's amazing, isn't it? We got the information if people weren't too lazy, if they weren't too... If they weren't too hard-headed to change their mind. They can't change their mind because if they come up and say there's no water baptism, they're going to lose all their followers. Did you know there's been more people died in the history of the church over baptism and crackers and grape juice than anything else? More than anything else. They weren't eating crackers and drinking grape juice. They were eating the last Passover and we're in a spiritual Passover now. Because the rituals were nailed to the cross. The four items of the Passover, a lamb without blemish. What's the lamb now? Christ is the lamb, our Passover lamb. John said, so behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And the scripture says in the fifth chapter of 1 Corinthians, Christ is our Passover lamb. Well, if the lamb is spiritual, then so is the other three items of the Passover. So is the bread, we being many are one bread and one body. They had unleavened bread for seven days. And in that fifth chapter, First Corinthians says, the, un, the leaven of the Passover is that man having an affair with his stepmother. And then you had, the, you had the four cups. The third cup has an official title according to Alfred Edersheim in his book, the temple is ministry and service. He will tell you. Being a Jew, he knew all about the Passover. He says the official title for the third cup of the Passover was Cup of Blessing. That was its title. That was the one that was blessed. Jesus took the cup and blessed it. Said this cup is the New Testament in my blood. And that's another story. So drinking of the cup... He says, this is my, my testament, this cup. To drink of a cup meant to undergo a death. And 1 Corinthians ten seventeen. After Jesus' death, after everything was all the rituals were nailed to the cross, the Bible says we, the cup of blessing, excuse me, verse 16. 1 Corinthians ten sixteen. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? It was against Jewish law to drink blood. That was a, a term that meant to undergo a death. Can you drink the cup that I drink of? Why can't they put this stuff together? Just, you know how this frustrates me to see somebody passing around crackers and grape juice, and dipping people in water? Besides that, do I have any time, Mike? I got time to read this. I'm going to get into Paul's baptism. Paul was not washed in water. But I don't have time to get into that tonight. 
when they say buried with him in baptism, being raised in the likeness of his resurrection. They didn't bury people in the ground. They buried them in tombs in the sides of mountains. If you're going to bury somebody in baptism, you need to bury them sideways. You need to get a great big fan, blow it one side, and say we're having a baptismal service, and blow red water on them, and dip them into that wind, wind and water. Because they buried it in mountains. They buried them in tombs. Let me read this to you. All you have to do is get your McClinic and Strong. Look up tomb. But see, we don't put that kind of information anymore because that was back in the 1800s. We just don't need that anymore. Besides the conspicuous objects, I can't read the whole thing. Talking about tomb. There are others less visible but quite as remarkable. At Hebron, there is the Jewish burying grounds covered with large slabs and curious tombs cut in rock with loculi on all sides, which are probably patriarchal or at least Jewish. Around Jerusalem, there are numerous tombs, many of them remarkable for their beauty, their size, their peculiar structure. Almost all of these are Jewish and give us a good idea of how the manner of Jews was to bury. Whoever could afford it chose rock, not the earth. That was a poor man's way to be buried in the ground. Not the earth for the covering of his body and preferred to have his body deposited on a clean rocky shelf that's the way Jesus was buried if we're buried with him in baptism it'd have to be into a tomb not into the ground not let down into and covered over with the soil hence our ideas of burial are not the same as the Jews buried with him in baptism according to us there is the always the letting down into the earth According to them, there is the taking possession of some stony chamber for the last sleep. Hence, the expression, buried with him by baptism into death, would not to the Hebrew suggest immersion. This is under the word tomb. As it seems to do to us and to the early Christian, the symbol of baptismal burial would be associated with the Lord's own tomb. Wouldn't it? Is that crazy? You know, that's how crazy the world is. Well, we think and this has been passed down to us and that's the way we're going to do it. Okay. You know what I got to say, people like that? Okay. That's all I got to say. You think you can change their minds with facts? Goodness gracious alive. All right. I got so much more on this. Gosh, where do I need to go? I got, I can't get to all this today. But when you're talking, we got to Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, everyone, for the remission. Remission? Be baptized for the remission? 
A-P-H-E-S-I-S is the word remission. It's the same word as forgiveness. It means to pardon and release from prison. You mean you're in prison before you're dipped in water? That makes no sense, does it? Well, there's too many people voting against you, Jim Brown. There's the Council of Trent and the Council of this and the Council of that. I don't care how many councils there are. That's not what the Bible teaches. If you go for a water dipping, you'll never get into death to self and daily cross and self-denial. That'll be your substitute for your baptism. I don't hear anybody talking about death to self. You've got to talk about a blood baptism to talk about that. Probably one of the most... Do I have any time? Seven. I don't know if I can get into this. Over in 1 Corinthians 15... This is one of the most confusing things. If you don't believe in predestination and election, you're not going to understand this at all. People say, how do you do that? I'm very analytical in everything I do. I analyze everything. I don't mean to. I've just been doing this since I was a little boy. I, I did it in classes. I did it in math class, analyzing everything. That's all it takes. Say so this is equal to this is equal to this is equal to this. And you'll come up with some answers. Paul was not washed in water. I'll get to that next week. But here in the 15th chapter of Acts, verse 28, not Acts, 1 Corinthians 15. When all things shall be subdued unto Jesus, and I'd like to go into all that before, but I don't have time. Then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him. All things are going to be put under his feet, that God may be all in all. Else, or else, what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? People got a hold of this verse in English and the Mormons will baptize somebody, substitute for somebody that has died because they didn't be baptized while they were alive and they dip in water after they're dead. That's a substitute. It's insane. But the following words will tell you what it's talking about. Baptized for the dead if the dead rise not at all. What he's saying is true baptism is going to raise people from the dead, not water. Why are they baptized for the dead? And then he connects the next verse with what he just said. And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? Why are we being jeopardized and people want to put us to death? Because, well, he goes on to say, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, I die daily. What are you dying daily for? That's the daily cross. That's death to self. Why are you dying daily? For the dead elect. There's an elect people out there, and we are dying for them daily. 
We're telling people the truth about Christ's mass and about predestination and David Cross and death to self and self-denial so that the dead elect can come. It's not talking about dipping people in water. And he said, I die daily. And he tells about that in 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. You can look at this. This is what Baptized for the Dead is talking about. 2 Corinthians, fourth chapter. On verse 8, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. I could go through all these words. I don't have time. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body, the body of Christ, us, the dying of the Lord Jesus. We're dying daily. That the life of Jesus, resurrection, might be made manifest in our bodies. We die daily. Remember, anastasis, feminine gender, that's resurrection, means to come to life after dying. We die daily so we can come alive. And the only reason we're dying is because there's an elect family out there that needs to hear the truth. And this resurrection that we're doing, dying and resurrecting, that's the sign to the unbeliever, unbelieving elect, and they will come. It's not talking about dipping people in water after they're dead. I've never heard anybody that even understood this. But if you don't believe in election and you don't believe in predestination, you're not going to understand being baptized for the dead. Do you think Paul's talking about water here? No. And then he goes on to say, For we which live are always delivered to death daily for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh, in these bodies we're in. We die and we resurrect daily, and it's for the dead elect. And then he says, So then death worketh in us, so you can come alive. <laughs> that actually explains Baptized for the dead, doesn't it? We die so the non-elect can come alive in Christ and they can start dying daily. If you don't understand idioms and metaphors, you're not going to understand any of this. You can't understand baptism if you don't understand that. And if you don't understand that all the rituals were nailed to the cross, including all the rituals of any kind, they had many baptisms. They washed everything. They washed their vegetables ritualistically. They washed everything ritual. All that's gone. But the law is not gone. The only thing, the law comes in two parts. It comes in the letter and it comes in the rituals. The spirit, excuse me, the spirit and the letter of the law. The letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. It is spiritual. Now, everything that was once literal is now spiritual. Let me read the rest of this. We having the same spirit in faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore I have spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he which hath raised up the Lord Jesus shall also raise us up by Jesus and shall present us with you. He's saying, while you're here on earth, for all things are for your sakes, for your sakes, you've been the dead elect, and I've come here to call it to teach you and tell you about the resurrection of Christ. And it's for your sake when you were dead in Christ, dead outside of Christ. But you're elect. You've been predestined. 
And the only people we're looking for is God's predestinated elect family. Right? That the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For we, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish daily. That's the outward man in Romans 7. <laughs> Yet the inward man is renewed day by day, and he comes alive and resurrects daily. And he calls that our light affliction. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment. He calls 70 years in this life a moment. Which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more and exceeding eternal weight of glory. While we look at the things which are seen, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the spiritual things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. They're temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. That's the spiritual. Is there any time left, Mike? Huh? I'm going to come back next week. We're going to address the baptism of Paul. And you got that in two places. But it wasn't water. The Bible doesn't say that. If you don't understand true spiritual baptism of fire and blood and Holy Spirit, you don't really understand baptism. And everybody wants to dip in water out here. They're not even talking about a daily dying by witnessing to people and telling them the truth. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth. I, I don't know what else to do. I'm just doing everything I can. I pray every day. Lead me. Wherever you lead, I'm going to go. Keep thinking of he leadeth me, O blessed thought. I want you to lead in everything, not just me, but to these people. Help us to learn and see and understand these truths in the Bible. Help us to stand against the enemy. They're your enemy that wants to fight against your word. Fight our battles. We'll praise you for everything in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to try to finish this up next week. Well, I hope we can understand baptism now. <laughs>